Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the AltMed podcast. Got Mitch Kurtz on the line, as I always do. Uh, Hello. Look good. Um, looking sprightly this hour. Um, it is our pleasure to have the guru of all things GMP and of many other things, actually, which we're about to learn about. It is none other than Trevor Shuri, who is the Managing Director of FarmOut. Trevor, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Ross. I appreciate the um, introduction. I'm not too sure if I'm a guru at anything, but uh, <laughs> I'm really well supported by a great team. So, yeah, no, thank you very much. And humble to boot. Yeah, humble to boot indeed, especially given we know uh, we just learned, set up your first facility back in 2001. So, yeah, you've attained the age of, of 21 years of doing this. So how, how did you actually get into this space? Because people weren't exactly seeking your assistance, I imagine, back in 2001 to set up uh, medical cannabis facilities, or if they were, maybe... Uh, I don't know, they were doing it on the, the slide, but um, yeah, how did you get into this space? Um, oh, it's a really interesting story, I suppose, is that um, I came across as a supporting spouse, um, as an immigrant, uh, as you can tell, it's not a Queensland accent, so I came from <laughs> South Africa, and um, arrived in the country in 2001, and I didn't want to go back into manufacturing. I, I'm essentially a production cowboy. Um, I'm a qualified um, production um, manager and that's really my background so I look at costs and efficiencies and etc that's inherent in what I do and in 2001 I um, didn't want to go into manufacturing it's a, a it's a difficult um, game um, and I wanted to do something different so um, joined a small engineering company and um, my first job there was to um, set up and successfully get a GMP manufacturing license for that company um, back in the 2002 or 2003 sometime. It was a very long time ago now. Um, and then in 2006, decided to um, start out Farm Out um, as, a, as a consulting company in GMP validation and all things around the manufacturing side of medicines or you know, medicinal products. And that's kind of like my, my background and how I got into GMP um, so what yeah. is, I, I, it does, um, for some of our listeners, I think we've, they've been hearing for a little time now that all Australian um, medical, well, all medic, medicinal cannabis products that will be supplied <clears throat> in Australia from 1 July next year must be um, manufactured to a GMP standard. Um, some people equate this um, as being of a higher quality, um, but what, what would you say if somebody said at, at the bare basics, what does GMP mean? Um, oh, I can do fairly flippant and sort of say get more paper because whatever you do <laughs> has to be recorded. It's but so um, I think um, for me, GMP is the quality standard. So you see the history, throughout history, people um, have um, unfortunately passed away through um dodgy medicines or snake oils and the regulator comes in and says okay well we can't have that because it's public opinion to control so nobody likes um, a family member um, passing away um, so public opinion actually demands that the regulator does something um, and we've seen that sort of um, with you know thalidomide, thalidomide um, you know back in the old vaccines um, 
um, we, we've, we've seen that reactionist back in the early 1900s where GMPs originated from and they accelerated over the years. And we've seen with the uh, relevant to the cannabis industry is the um, vitamin C, um, sorry, vitamin E acetate um, in vaping products. I think there'll be regulatory action at some stage to control that as well um, and standards that will come in. And to, to a certain extent, that's what GMP is all about, is setting in those common sense controls and tips, I suppose, of how to run a manufacturing facility to control it and make safe and effective medicines. Um, and I think that's that's really, for me, the, the key part of um, that. And as I've got older, I've realized that I can't go and make all the mistakes myself. So. Um, if someone gives me a tip as in it, it, what is in the doc, GMP documents um, and I adopt that, um, I, I sort of start thinking of GMPs as gross mistake prevention you know, mm -hmm. guidance, I suppose, I suppose as well. Um, so talking specifically to your um, the GMPs, it's, it's GMPs um, uh, are applicable to all medicines that are manufactured in, around the world and every um, country would have some form of GMP um, in place. Um, but more particularly, I think uh, with the um, GMPs that we're talking about now, um, it's leveling of the playing field, whereas Australian manufacturers have to comply with this GMP standard and the overseas um, companies were um, permitted through a, a bit of an aberration in the law, were allowed to bring in overseas um, product that was not manufactured to GMP. And the regulator's job, as I mentioned, is to protect the public health and therefore they they just want to be careful to make sure that we're protecting well our relatives i suppose and, and ourselves um, it's not some arbitrary person down the road um, so yeah yeah it's interesting when we're talking about gmp as you said there's different um you know different countries have i guess different standards of gmp you didn't actually say that but i'm i'm saying yeah, that yeah, yeah, <laughs> um yeah. How do we how do we equate or compare? I know that there's um, such a thing as a mutual recognition agreement, um, depending on which countries you you belong to. Um, can you talk us through a little bit about you know what if, if something's GMP in in say you know South Africa or you know different parts of Africa that process and, and the the equivalent standards and and you know whether that would be accepted in Australia, for example. Yeah, it's a really good um, question because we often hear people saying the EU GMP and, and holding that out as a gold standard and, and even heard Professor Skerritt at times sort of talking about the Australian GMPs being a gold standard. Essentially, uh, I think in my mind, it, it relates to the, um, the, the documentation that you follow, the, the standards, the, the GMP guidelines and the regulatory framework that's around that. Um, essentially, um, the, there's been lots of harmonization um, around countries um, trying to be trying to have equivalence on on GMP standards and, and this organization that's um, formed which is an association or a country club of regulators if you think of it like that um, is called PICS or PICS um, and this is building up mutual confidence in each other in other regulatory agencies so South Africa for example the um, SAPRA, the authority there, the equivalent to TGA or FDA or MHRA, is a PRCS member. And therefore, if they certify a manufacturer in their country, and it's really important to understand it's in their country, um, that would be um, most likely be accepted by, um, say, an Australian or other uh, PICS member. And there are 54 PICS members as we speak right now. 
Um, but it's really important to understand that the PICS authority is in-country and it's a voluntary um, uh, acceptance of the other country's um, GMP certification. Um, so it's, is, not, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily uh, whoever's on that list can do free trade between each other type situation? Um, well, the, I think that's not a free trade. It's just the one of the planks that you've got to get in terms of your um, approach to market. So with normal pharmaceuticals, if I've got somebody in um, China or maybe somebody in, say, Hong Kong, um, a manufacturer in Hong Kong as a PICS member, because their regulatory authority has been certified by and they've gone through the accession process, um, they would manufacture in there would have much quicker and better access to Australia. So they would probably not need to go through an audit by a TGA inspector jumping mm. on the plane, scheduling that. And yeah, that could delay um, in practic practicality, that could delay anything between six and two years to get access to the Australian market. Mm. If you were say in a ch Chinese manufacturer trying to get into Australia, um, whereas a, a Hong Kong-based um, manufacturer um, arguably could get into Australia much faster through the um, mm. there's an overseas uh, process to um, uh, to go through. So it's a quicker, much quicker, much cheaper. Um, the privilege of having a TGA inspector in China will probably cost you. Um, I'm guessing now, and my numbers are roughly from memory, but it'll be between forty and sixty thousand dollars to go through that GMP inspection whereas the overseas clearance process through another PIX member country is a lot quicker. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, you hear about, um, as you said, EU GMP a lot and, and flying German, uh, basically, uh, I guess, TGA auditor equivalents. I'm, I'm not actually sure what the TGA equivalent in Germany is. You, you would know better than I, but yeah. um, flying them out to, you know, different countries, say in South America to, to validate, the facilities there would that be something that an Australian, the Australian, the TGA would accept as a quality standard in a country that has been at a facility in a country that maybe isn't part of the PICS guide or a PICS member, um, but has had an EU GMP auditor tick off on? Yeah, so it's, that's a really good question. So I think, um, and you alluded to in your your earlier question around the mutual recognition agreement. So these are government to government agreements, which is different to the PICS framework, mm. which is regulatory agency to regulatory agency agreement and mutual confidence building in each other's capacity because the TGA can't go out and inspect every single manufacturing facility in the world. And that makes great sense to do this. So if you have a mutual recognition agreement between, and, and they are these are in place, for example, between Australia and um, Singapore, um, there would be no need to have an inspection because the Singaporean um, inspectorate, the HSA, would be equivalent to the Australian. And similarly, the whole of Europe basically would be equivalent um, through, through um, mutual recognition agreements, as well as Canada as well. So, and funnily enough, not USA, is that correct? Um, so USA is a PICS member, um, but they're not, there's no MRA. Um, with active pharmaceutical agreements, there, there is some collaboration and confidence building going on at the moment. But the US FDA, if, um, if I can say a little bit re reluctant to just um, automatically accept other people's um, uh, inspect, inspection reports. Um, so I would have I would have thought it would have been the other way around from Australia's perspective in terms of the quality of things that sometimes gets produced in the USA. 
or, or? Um, I think the um, the the TGA um, and I think this is mutual uh, respect. Um, the TGA is one of the leading um, GMP inspectorates around the world, without doubt. I mean, similarly, the FDA and um, the the MHRA um, would would be up there as as some of the most respected agencies in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly in my mind working in this industry for yeah, the twenty some or more than twenty years now. But yeah, um, and I, I have a question about uh, TGO ninety three because. You'll cast your mind back five years ago, say, you know, when Australia first harmonised Commonwealth laws to allow states to um, to provide access to medicinal cannabis, they in, sort of imposed a, a bare minimum requirement on, on imports where all products in Australia had to meet this quality and safety standard, <clears throat> which was TGO 93. Of course, that's what has been recently amended to say that effectively all imports need to meet a GMP equivalent requirement to Australia from 1 July next year. Just interested in your thoughts on what is it about TGO 93 that doesn't go far enough in terms of a quality standard? Or maybe that's an assumption on my part and you actually think that TGO 93 is a reasonable quality and safety standard. Um, I I think that... um because of the history of cannabis or medicinal cannabis, it's that there's, there's no pharmacopoeial standard for it. I mean, I know in the, in the US there is for drobinol, which is a synthetically derived THC, um, but there is no um, specification, if you want to call it, or pharmacopoeia for cannabis. And there's 23 or 24 pharmacopoeias around the world. So um, to my knowledge, not one of them actually deals with herbal cannabis medicinal product as such. So how did the TGA then set a quality specification to have some quality standard of the imported product? And um, dealing with a lot of people that perhaps are not that experienced with pharmaceuticals, they felt that they needed to bring out this therapeutic goods order or TGO and and they laid out a minimum standard. But if you read that guidance, there's lots of um, uh, hooks back out to European pharmacopoeias, for example, or EPs, as we call them. So when you bring in a normal um, drug substance, the active ingredient would probably, and the excipients would need to comply with a pharmacopoeia of some sorts. And the default standards we have would be um, the, you know, the, the European um, pharmacopoeia, the United States pharmacopoeia, or the British pharmacopoeia. And these are default standards that uh, are applicable and the TGO 93 um, was just making people aware of these standards. Mm. Um, so and, it, and, yeah, so in, in a sense, so essentially that earlier quality and safety standard, which included things like, you, you know, any product supplied in Australia must not have above a certain threshold of pesticides and foreign matter and ash and, yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Like and just interested, I mean, the one of the challenges is that through this amended TGO 93, a lot of the countries from which imports possibly were coming in from weren't required to meet a GMP requirement. So in effect, we're imposing an Australian manufacturing standard on a foreign jurisdiction. Do you share that view or what, what are you, what's your take on that proposition? Well, well, arguably, if you look at, say, the German pharmacopoeia, there are some tighter specifications in there for, mm. for flour, for example. It's, um, 
yeah, it's a much tighter specification than the Australian um, specification. So there is some work going on at the moment in terms of harmonizing an international monograph or pharmacopoeial standard for cannabis, cannabis flowers, CBD, THC, et cetera. So these are all in play at the moment. Um, arguably, the regulator is taking quite a long time to react to this, but I think what they're doing is they're monitoring the situation and trying to gather information to start putting this into um, in, into these monographs. So when you look at microbial standards, um, when we look at, say, tobacco, there's lots of um, um, you know, uh, bacteria and fungi that would be in the bacteria because it's a natural uh, derived um, product um, is that acceptable to have those micro levels in a cannabis or medicinal cannabis product which arguably could be given to a immune compromised patient so um yeah we sort of look at that from a, you know we, we're not it's not giving tobacco to people it's actually giving um, to healthy patients, it's this um, safety of, of the, so aflatoxin and orcotoxin, um, there was good reason to maybe consider those. Um, heavy metals is the other one. Um, it's interesting, we're doing some work in terms of growing outdoor, how the soils would impact on the heavy metal limits. And you know, California, for example, in the adult um, market, there will be a limit for heavy metal limits in, in cannabis as well. It's, it's There's no daylight mm. between them. A Canadian recreational market, um, there's a, a limit on orcotoxins um, and and yeah, and heavy metals as well. So there's not that, that much difference between um, the adult use and um, medical markets in terms of a lot of these specifications. I won't say all of them, but a, a lot of them. Yeah, it's actually, um, the more I think about it, I mean, I thought I was under the impression, and again, you'll know better than I, but the, the Australian restrictions on the certain micrograms of what was allowed in, in let's say, vaporizable flour was actually more stringent than the German requirements. It, you're absolutely right. There are some um, differences between the two. Uh, micro um, is an interesting one. Um, you kind of like want to set a specification that's um, aligned with the process capability, if you want to call it that. So you can't meet, set a specification that's so low that no one, no one on the planet's ever going to be able to meet that specification. Mm. So you've got to understand what is, what, what is the industry um, process capability. And then you also have to have the long-term in-human health studies to say, well, if someone is getting you know, that, that many micrograms or nanograms of chromium, mm. what, what's that going to do to a patient? We just don't have that data yet. Mm. Um, so, so the regulator's busy trying to collect that, that data at the moment. Well, it's one of the reasons, I guess, that we, we pretty much only see irradiated flower in Australia because it needs to meet, I guess, these. Uh, it's, it, it seems interesting. It almost feels as though Australian industry is asking for the regulations to come into place to level the playing field, let's say, GMP, put it across the board. Yeah. But at the same time, loosen it up as much as we can because we want we want the the the, yeah. the stringent protocol to be yeah. you know achievable because the current settings are, are quite difficult to meet you know in in what's otherwise a botanical product yeah they, they are tough um they're tough specifications but um there, there's a lot of so um, it is very doable and um, yeah I don't know if you know if I, I'd like um, 
you know, my family members to, who would get critically ill and would want or need to have some medicinal cannabis, I don't know if they would want them to start you know, having cadmium or other of these heavy metals or start having aspergillus, which is a respiratory, you know, a respiratory mm. sort of problem for, for people inhaling um, that product. So, yeah, I, I, um, I, I, I'd want some controls around that. No, I totally sure. take your point. I, um, I guess I, I want to take our conversation in a different direction now. I know you've done a lot of consulting work in helping with the, you know, the architecture, the engineering, um, the design of um, GMP facilities in Australia. Um, we won't have to mention any of your clients' names, but uh, <laughs> I'm just interested if, um, if you can give some, I guess, high-level guidance on you know somebody comes to you and says hey trevor got this great idea me and some friends we want to cultivate cannabis and you know manufacture it into some cbd oil um you know my um my family's got some land somewhere and we're going to build a yeah. shit on there what what's your um tips to that some- was my next question oh. you stole it straight <laughs> out of my mouth uh, don't don't argue guys no. <laughs> um yeah it's, Thanks, a, it's a really <laughs> That's a really good um, uh, question because yeah, we're still getting two or three um, inquiries a week and you know, um, all over the world. And yeah, for example, on Monday we got two from South Africa, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and and we're working and have done projects in you know uh, all over the place in terms of um, Jamaica, South Africa, Zimbabwe, you know, into Africa, um, New Zealand, obviously Australia. Some noise coming from Thailand at the moment, all that's been on and off for a while, but. Their, their regulatory framework is just hemp at the moment. Um, but when someone comes and starts talking to me about having a facility in Australia, one of my biggest problems is, is if they got a family farm that they want to grow it on, um, any agricultural crop, there's a place in the world where it will be best suited. For example, you want to try to do bananas in Melbourne. It's just not, it's not you, you can grow them, but they're not going to be done economically. I tried. So how do you set your, really yeah, yeah <laughs> you can do them. You can do them, but they, they, they're going to be really slow. And there's definitely also, you know, um, different um, parts of the world will give you different flavors. You know, when I travel into Africa, I love eating the fruit there because it tastes different to the Australian fruit. Mm. Um, probably a little bit more organically grown, I suppose, if it helps uh, those secondary metabolites. And cannabis is no different to, to that. Um, so, yeah, we look at it in terms of, you know, the big, the big sort of costs um, around um, setting up a facility. So you've got the infrastructure cost. And if I want to pour a hundred mil um, slab in Portugal, cash in hand, it's probably going to be about 50 bucks. If I want to do the same slab in South Africa, you know, bricklayer works and it's morally corrupt, but this is the cost of, of someone. And this is the competitiveness of the world environment. Um, a brick lane in South Africa is 35 rand an hour, which is about $3 an hour. So, you know, we talk about minimum wages here. It's, you know, morally and ethically completely wrong, but but this is the environment we find ourselves in. So, mm. so the infrastructure costs, um, Australia is very expensive. Um, then you look at energy or electricity costs. And if you're doing indoor grow with light um, and not using the free sun, um, you're going to pay quite a substantial amount for your energy and that's set to double. And I think, as you guys know, um, cannabis is not really a green crop, as everybody thinks it is. And I think with the recent elections, um, I think we're all um, acutely aware that the Australian appetite for you know, energy wasting is um, probably not going to be as high as it should be. Um, and then the last one is the, the direct labour cost. Is you know, It's fairly... Um, 
labor intensive to to trim flowers and to um, work through the flowers and, and as you're harvesting and, and tending to the plants it's fairly labor intensive so uh, uh, other other economies emerging economies it's much cheaper to do it there so you then you have to look at well how you're going to be competitive and um, often when I go to sites before COVID, when we could still travel, um, I'd go out to sites and actually stand on the site and say, right now, what's the competitive advantage of this site versus, say, um, Australia or New Zealand? Um, so, yeah. Interesting. And I think, um, yeah, we might even save you a few inquiries and some time by asking you straight off the bat. <laughs> what, what is say, you know, somebody comes along as Andrew said with, with a bit of land and, you know, got dad's farm and I want to put up, you know, this grow, we're already doing, you know, capsicums, whatever it is. Um, what kind of cost uh, is, you know, somebody looking at just at a very, very high oh. level to, to, to get I started. Think, I think we covered So it's $3 an hour for the... <laughs> um, I'm doing it in uh, yeah. Gayberg or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so so definitely you need to, um, you know, any, any agricultural crop, if you can be closer to the, the environment where it's conducive, that's, um, that's the best. Um, we've sort of pivoted to, um, yeah, we've been through the complete indoor Canadian style grow. Um, that's quite expensive and expensive to run unless you get free or cheap and electric, electrical energy. Um, we've gone through to complete outdoor grow, which is obviously you save money on the cultivation costs, but then you, your head house costs become substantially higher because you have this avalanche of product or when you know, North Americans call it Croptober. And in October or Southern Hemisphere in around March, you get this avalanche of product arriving to be processed. So you'll spend more money on that building to um, do all your post-harvest processing activities. Um, but um, the short answer to kind of like what you need, we used to say about $4 million. Um, at the moment, we're sitting at around $10 million. So if you don't have $10 million in the bank, don't even try to do this. And you can see the, um, the difficulty of, um, say, the listed companies in Australia trying to get to profit. It's, um, it's, it's been a struggle. And even the North American Canadian companies, they've been struggling to get to profit. Um, mm. So it's, 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 it's a lot of investment um, in, in, a, in, a, in a market where there's a lot of uncertainty and, and regulatory um, oversight and burden. Is that, mm. is that just the, is that a cost uh, or a price tag that attaches just to the, um, the infrastructure or is that sort of for the first, you know, sort of couple of years of operation? Three to, three to five years type three of situation. To, yeah. it, it, it definitely is. There's some startup cost. You know, the AODC licensing process probably takes a year at the moment and most people want to get an AODC license on that land before they start building stuff um, and that means that you still got to through the planning process and then probably another 12 months after that so you've got two or three years to fund quite a few people that are sitting around not doing a lot of productive or output or such or revenue earning activities and then you've got to start up and it takes you quite some time to um, get your genetics settled down and of course um, yeah you, you, you once you've got your product you have to have an expiry or a shelf life on your, 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 your product as well. So you've got to have stability work done on your product and your packaging system and closure system. So yeah, you, you're probably um, looking at another six months to do that as well. 
So mm -hmm. my advice is always to start small and um, and then grow and get bigger and um, you learn your competence. So yeah, the, the, the GMPs tell us that um, when you employ staff, you need to have a combination of education, experience and training to be competent to do your job. The problem with the cannabis industry is you can't find people um, who are experienced at doing cannabis at scale. So we'd often go to ornamental um, growers or plant growers um, and, and, and transition them into growing cannabis. Um, but you don't easily, or you, there, there are, there are um, qualifications being um, issued now around um, education that you can do a, a degree, I think, um, the US uh, universities are now starting to offer them for cannabis. And then the last one is getting the experience. And not many people have you know, five years of experience in um, growing a, a cannabis facility at scale. Mm. Um, and this is where GMPs are helpful because you can get procedures, policies, work instructions, uh, cheat sheets, reminders, et cetera, at point of use or where people need them to tell them how to do something. Um, and, and so the documented um, procedures are helpful to, to your staff. Mm -hmm. I've got a very um, an, a question around GMP. Well, we hear a few different acronyms thrown around and you know, we, I think I know what they all mean, but uh, it's always good to get <laughs> the, the opinion of somebody who knows more. Yeah. But yeah. the difference between GMP, CGMP, um, GACP, GAP, um, you know, I, I think I know what they mean, but I'd love yeah. to hear you yeah. school me. <laughs> or, 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 yeah, or even throw in GXP, which is the mathematical um, uh, equation for um, the, the middle part of that. So GLP, good laboratory practice, good clinical practice, and, and so it goes on. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's a really interesting part around the CGMPs are more of an Americanism. So they like to talk about current good manufacturing practice. But essentially, good manufacturing practice is good manufacturing practice. And if you compliant with the American requirements, there's few subtleties or PICs or EU GMB. Um, GMP in broad terms is um, word for word the same. Um, there's, there's no discernible difference. There will be some slight idiosyncrasies here and there. Um, but um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no real difference. Um, in broad terms, the, um, the GA P or, um, is, is sort of a more of an American term for, uh, sorry, the European term for good agricultural practice. And um, the, good, the good agricultural and collection practice of GACP is more of a World Health Organization term. But these, um, these cultivation um, systems that control the collection of plant material, cultivation and collection of plant materials falls under the GACP, mm. as, as we call it. And then the GMP is typically where you start coming into post-harvest. So most manufacturing processes will be when you start drying. That's and especially if you're starting to do a, a, a flower, that's when GMP um, will step in. Um, so what we're trying to do with these layers of um, an onion is as such as that between the patient and the processing activities, if you gain ahead and doing extraction and say isolate, uh, making isolates, you've got more processing steps between your manufacturing process and the patient. So the GMP line sort of shifts away. So if you're doing uh, extraction and um, isolates, you don't have to grow your um, product under uh, GACP or uh, do the early drying under GMP, for example. So that line does shift a little bit and that's 
probably the yeah, we got ex um, GMP auditors in the office and we've had some active debates around exactly where the GMP line is. Um, but <laughs> we, we have those same debates yeah, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's um, yeah, pe people that that have got 10 plus years experience in this industry as uh, as GMP inspectors are yeah, will will have some debate as to exactly where the GMP line should be. My um, my understanding was that if you're going to further extract or manufacture, you could even have non GMP first order extraction. That's right. Yeah, the initial instructions. That's that's what the code says. So, like a crude um, oil, you could essentially yeah. have non-GMP. Bring that yep. in, and then yeah. if it's not presented to the to the patient in that form, um, it's further manufactured. Then it's everything after that needs to be GMP. Especially if you're turning that into an isolate. So <laughs> the problem we have when we set up um, manufacturing facilities for people, they don't often know what product they're going to supply to the market so so we would set up somebody to do um, isolate manufacturer but then they'll start selling flowers because that's lucrative mm. and the whole gmp of their facility suddenly changes so the mm. fabric of the um and the hygienic practices that they need to apply um, would then to be full G to full gmp and um so so we tend to um say to customers that if they're going to do any post-harvest processing we kind of like um want them to adopt um, GMP mm. uh, facility design. So that's where architects come in and, uh, and talk through you know, what, what the fabric of the building should be. And that's not too, um, it's not over the top, it's just cove floors and looks like a hospital theater, clean and hygienic. And it's probably what you'd want with any product that you, you, you're consuming. And it's not a, a massive on cost. Um, and the air quality has to be clean as well. So you're not contributing um, microbes, etc., to the product, um, mm. and also people are gowned correctly, so they they you know they're using gloves and the hair nets and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want hair falling into your product and opening up your product, and there's um, Lucy's hair waiting for you. Um, you kind of like don't. That's not not nice, me. Uh, Andrew nice likes hair. that, but not yeah. not me. It's a personal <laughs> preference. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, I just um, I wanted to ask about that. Uh, I guess the extent of sterility in a fully GMP um, facility. Is it the case that you have things like air, um, you know, air conditioning in the sense of it actually purifies air and um, similarly for, for water, any water that's used on site, are these sort of steps that go further than what is required or is that sort of, uh, you know, part of the course? Yeah, so um, as you start getting into the later processing area, the, the 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 product contact surfaces need to be clean and hygienic, and you know be be not contributing or particulate shedding towards the the product as well. Um, so product surfaces need to be cleaned with potable um, water at least in the early stages, uh, and then you have to use purified water if you're doing rinsing out of any surfaces. So there are some processes that would be required. But generally um, speaking, you can't like um, in the early stages of flower manufacturing or cultivating and, and harvesting and processing the flower, you would have that through an F7 filter, which is the minimum requirement. And you'll have a, a few air changes to keep that um, free of any pathogens. Um, as you can imagine, you bring in um, a botanically derived product into a, a controlled space. And as those fungi, for example, are dying, they'll give off spore or bacteria would give off spore and that potentially um, 
uh, have um, yeah, res residual um, bacteria floating around the air. And, and hence, you've got to gown your operators and, and protect them from that as well. Mm. Um, once you've irradiated um, the product, we, we step up that um, hygienic practices almost to an, what we would call a grade C type practice. Um, because once you've done the irradiation, there is no micro there. You want to keep it that way. So you'll adopt a, a much higher level of uh, gowning. So no outside street clothing will go into those areas. You'd have very strict um, um, you know, controls around. You don't blow your nose and go back to um, you know, packing out um, cannabis flour, for example. Um, so those are, are, are sort of just general um, hygiene practices. Yeah. Uh, the, the last, the, I have one more question. I, I, that That is interesting. Yeah, I do know from memory being on, on some of the farms, changing the jacket, stepping on the chemical pad, making sure that all happens. I, I do have one other question, though, that I'm very curious to get your perspective on. You know, sometimes um, you'll hear about, GMP and you'll be talking to someone and they say, oh, what standard of GMP? Is it pharmaceutical GMP? Is it food grade GMP? Is it cosmetic GMP? And so, for example, if somebody wanted to bring a food grade GMP um, CBD oil into Australia, that obviously wouldn't stack um, as of July 1st next year, correct? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. Yep. Why is that the case? What, what, what separates those two? Well, well I think the, the, the basic premise of GMP is you can't test in quality. Um, so you have to have systems that controls the quality and it's quality through design. Um, and what I mean by that is that, say your, um, your, 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 your cadmium, um, which is a heavy metal uh, contaminant, that will probably be coming through on your media or your fert fertilizers, your DAP, for example, might be laced with um, cadmium, and so so your GMP lines go all the way back into um, in, into the, the the grow media or or the fertigations that um, the rock salts that you use. Um, so where do you control those? So you need some um, design controls that um, make sure that you don't introduce these heavy metals or pathogens into your process, and um, so the GMP is not just testing at the end; uh, it's almost too late. So these practices are um, around the, the control. So you, 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 you might miss um, heavy metals, for example, or, or, or micro contaminants, um, and that could potentially cause um, harm to your patient. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to protect your patient. Yeah, because my, my question around that was always the difference between, you know, if you're talking about, say, a, a tincture oil or something of that nature, you've got what would be considered food GMP, uh, versus pharmaceutical GMP and food GMP, you'd imagine, is a standard for ingestible products, which yeah. you're ending up having the same, you know, you, you're using it in the same way. So you'd have to imagine it's got to be to a certain standard that would be safe to ingest. And as such, why is the extra step of pharmaceutical necessary yeah. in, that, in that situation? I think the, the big difference is that it's administered to a patient that has a, a possibly a, a compromised mm. immune system. And, and that yep. once you start doing your risk assessments as to why you should release this batch, um, you have to have that patient, the worst case patient, mm. the worst case example and patient in your head. And that's why you, you, you're allowed to release the batch. Mm. Um, but don't get me wrong. You know, some of the work I've done in New Zealand, for example, with the dairy industry, some of their food practices would um, make the, the pharmaceutical industry look a bit shabby in terms of going out and verifying that 
all that milk that's been um, taken from the cows that day is being pasteurized properly. And they have a quite a rigorous um, system of verifying to make sure that that food's safe. And, you know, you, you, you grab your milk, for example, it's got an expiry of maybe two or three weeks, but quite often it lasts a lot longer than that because the hygienic practices are really mm. good. Mm. So there's a lot we can learn from the food industry or cosmetics industry, but this is a medicine and we're choosing to, to treat as a medicine and therefore all the medicinal, medicinal standards come into play. Mm. Yep. Um, it is important to stress that um, the GMPs um, are the same whether you're doing a sunscreen or a um, injectable product um, very loosely. There's an Annex 1 or there's a, a extra guidance for sterile or aseptically processed products. But largely your, your Part 1 and Part 2 are identical. So you've got to do your risk assessment to say how tough and how hard you're going to be and uh, on your application and adoption of, of your GMPs. So pharmaceuticals, you can ramp it up or, or down as much as, as, as you want to, um, in, a, in a sense. Um, obviously, you've got to justify that to um, internally to your experienced um, staff and and to the regulator as well. well that's very very interesting. Um, I yeah, I, I did not realise that about New Zealand, but it explains why they have such a popular export market of of you know dairy products and powder to um, to Asian markets. Um, we know you're a busy man, Trevor, so we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. But I just, uh, yeah, you are a true uh, wealth of knowledge um, on this topic. And we are very grateful for um, for your time. I'm I sort of got the, conceived Mitch has got that look in his eyes where he, he could almost go on for another <laughs> eight hours. Of, I'm intrigued. Questions, uh, but uh, it could be uh. deemed interrogation. But um but no, we're yeah very grateful for your time. So thanks so much for um, for joining us. And look, when Mitch and I yeah. come into um, possession of a, a nice big vacant block of land, we'll um, we'll be sure to catch up <laughs> with you professionally, so you can tell us don't do it. Um, bad idea. Your dad's backyard is a good what thirty meters squared, Andrew. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> right next to the uh, right next to the ocean. You know, really good soil quality. Um, you can do an, an OG strain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Indica, though, at this latitude, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Trevor. No, we'll, no um, thank, thank you both. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed helping and trying to give back a little bit to the industry. It's been very generous to me. So, yeah. Thank no, you. We, we appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners do as well. So thank yeah. you so much for, for, uh, yeah. for being with us for the last hour. Thanks, Trevor. No, thanks very much, Jason. Right. Okay, bye. Yeah.